Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Welcome back to another episode of Adding Context. Today I'm speaking to Mr. David Fishoff. How are you doing today, sir? Doing great here in Southern California. I'm sure. a little warmer than most people are in the country. <laughs> I'm sure the weather's a lot less foggy than it is here in Jersey. I think so. <laughs> so before we get into... But I'm a Hackensack boy, so, <laughs> you know, I love New Jersey. Uh, I was going to get to that. Uh, you were born in Jersey, right? I was born in uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. No, I'm sorry. I was born in Manhattan. But then we moved right away to Brockton, Mass, Galveston, Texas, and then eventually Hackensack, New Jersey. So, um, yeah, I've been, I lived around a lot. Got it. How much time did you spend in Jersey as a kid? I spent about uh, 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. And my dad's parents spent about 32, 32 years there. And uh, so now I'm Hackensack with my, my place. <laughs> um. You you kind of got into, I guess the the start of where you're at now, up in the Catskills. Can you dive into that a little bit? Like, what age did you start going to the Catskills? Well, I started going to Catskills when I was uh, a youngster, uh, to camps up there, and then um, I worked as a waiter at a hotel. And when I was finished, you know, doing all my waiting work, um, I decided to go watch the shows every night. And I always had this love of show business. So every night I would go watch the entertainment and I would see the comedians and the singers. And it just gave me a, a love to want to be in this business, the show business. Uh, did you um, act? Did you have like a drive to act or to, to be a musician? Or was it just strictly the idea of I, I want to be in the business, but I think I can do a better job representing people? Well, I want... I wanted to be in my brother's band, you know, and because my brother, you know, he's a drummer. He got all the girls. <laughs> so I figured, you know, that would be a way to, a way to attract women. And, uh, you know, I just saw how popular he was. So I really wanted to be a musician. I tried. I wasn't good enough. Um, and uh, my dad said to me, he says, why don't you, instead of being in your brother's band, why don't you book six, seven bands a night? And, uh, and that was so my dad really motivated me to become an agent and start representing bands. Um, and that's really how I started my career. What instrument did you try? Just out of curiosity. I tried the bass because I thought it was easiest. Um, that was it. <laughs> I've, uh, I, I've tried to learn different instruments and it really runs the gamut. I just have zero musicianship. So I, I've given up that dream. <laughs> You know, me too. I tried drums. I tried guitar. I couldn't get my finger over the F chord. <laughs> Keep people promising me they're going to teach me. Um, and I wish I could play, honestly. I think it, but then I try to believe that it really takes a lot. It's a lot of work, a lot of discipline. And, um, but I really admire musicians. I really do admire them. And I love the passion they have. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I absolutely love music. Like, I, I don't function well without music. So it's, I feel you in there. Um, what were some of the bigger names that you were able to book up into Catskills before you transitioned to the, what you were doing in the 80s? So I, I booked, you know, comedians like Henny Youngman, uh, David Brenner, 
Um, you know, and then the Freddie Romans and all the comedians up at the Catskills. I booked those folks. Um, and I learned a lot from them, you know, I, cause then I thought I wanted to try to be a comic because, you know, I really admire those comedians up in the Catskills because, you know, the Catskills is about eating three meals a day at these hotels and they stuff you. And when you weren't eat, finished eating the three meals at a, a tea room, they would, they would get you into, um, and, um, so, you know, I always know, I always saw, it always attracted me how these comics made people laugh and, you know, especially after they ate three meals a day <laughs> and, and also it was a free show, you know, people were, it's not like, you know, they bought a ticket, you know, you go to a comedy store and they're buy, and they buy a ticket and you laugh because you paid for that ticket here. You're getting the show for free. So these comics have to be really creative. And that's why the funniest guys came out of the castles. Yeah. It, how much where you were, how much is that resembled in like dirty dancing that if I recall correctly, that took place up in a, a resort family resort like that and, and had similar shows and things like that was, was that kind of true to life for you? Very similar, very similar. And you know, the lady who wrote the, wrote the, the script, Eleanor Bergstein, she, she wrote it because of her experience of a grossing in the Cascals. And um, years later, when the film came out, I turned it into a live tour. And I toured it all around the world. Um, everywhere. Radio City Music Hall and the Greek Theater, Australia, London. Um, it was a big, big show for me. And um, I was attracted to it because it started the Cascals. What did you transition to after marketing and, and booking things up at the Catskills? You mentioned the Dirty Dancing Tour. Where did you kind of, where did that start? Like you got the idea, the movie came out, and you wanted to kind of relive your well, childhood to a degree. Prior, yeah, pro, yeah, prior to that, I was booking those acts of the Catskills, and I was writing for the, the Jewish press, the newspaper in New York. And I went to interview Ron Bloomberg because he was the first DH um, in, in baseball. And, uh, so I interviewed him and he was, the, it was, it was Jewish and one that's about his heritage. Um, and he introduced me to Elliot Maddox, another player, uh, who was, you know, planning on converting to Judaism. And we, I started booking these ball players up in the Catskills at the hotels and, and camps. And then from there I decided, you know what, I, I realized there was a, a market for them to have represent a lot of these, a lot of these players didn't have agents back then. And that's when I started putting a lot of my energy and becoming a sports agent. And I met Lou Pinella and, uh, if Pinella, I went to, um, you know, he introduced me to Bobby Mercer and, and so many other players. And, uh, I was able to, um, you know, take my career and move more into professional sports, uh, while at the same time booking athletes and entertainers, um, and more entertainers. So I was doing both for many years. Um, and it was great because, you know, I was able to be a great agent because I wasn't relying totally on the general manager of the team to pay me my money. And, and then show business, I didn't rely totally on, on, on the promoters. I was able to have the sports business. So it, it really allowed me to become, you know, free. And I was able to build up a nice roster, both in sports and entertainment. Got it. Yeah, I've seen some of the names of uh, players that you represented, including uh, Super Bowl champion Phil Simms. 
It was my favorite. Yeah, Mel <laughs> Sims was, was really, I, I spent my entire career with him, his entire play career and the three, four years of his broadcasting. So um, it was a privilege to represent him. Uh, a lot of fun together. Very smart. Um, he was so dedicated to, as an athlete and, mm-hmm. you know, to see how much he overcame and to win the Super Bowl and, you know, and then he had, we had a great saying. He said, fish off. He says, I'll load the bullets. You shoot the gun. <laughs> and uh, we were able to do a lot of, lot, of, lot of fun stuff together. So while you were securing good contracts for uh, athletes, were you now in the process of doing the um, the Happy Together Tour and some of the other tours that led to right. so, the Monkeys? So I was, while, I was a ball, while I was representing the ballplayers, I was sharing office space with you know, a lot of music managers. I was the only sports agent up there. And I saw these gold records on the wall. And I decided, you know, I, I wanted to understand a little bit about the music business. And I saw how creative it was. And here my job was, you know, it was all about show me the money, show me the money. And, you know, in the end, it was, it was, it was boring to me because, you know, it was just about, you know, getting the best, the best contracts, but there was no creativity in it. And, um, so I liked doing it, but I decided that I wanted to focus a little bit more on show business. And, uh, so, you know, I got a call one day from, a, uh, somebody asked me if I was interested in managing the association because in a lot of my interviews, I would talk about that. I was in the entertainment business, started the Catskills and I took on the band, the association and decided to work, work really hard for them, put them on the road and, uh, they found some great success. And then all these other bands started calling me, the Turtles, the Grassroots. And they said, hey, you know, we, we, we'd also like to know if you represent us, Gary Puck and Union Gap. So then I got into packaging them because it was a lot easier to sell four bands one night in a package than one, than one band. Right. And I said, well, let's do hits. Let's get people the hits. So in 83 and 84, I created, uh, 84 and 85, I created the Happy Together Tour. And told these bands to play hits. Um, and it became very successful. The movie The Big Chill came out. And all of a sudden, everybody was excited about nostalgia. <laughs> and um, the show started selling out everywhere. And I led up doing 126 shows. And, um, and then the second year later, I also did 130 shows. And so I decided to put this package together. And then The Monkees. Uh, I was watching a monkey TV show one night and I said, Oh, I remember this band. And it was the only show my parents let me watch, you know, my dad, the rabbi and, and my mom, a school teacher, they wouldn't let me watch like wrestling or anything crazy. And, uh, I said, wow, I'd love to get the monkeys for one of my package tours. So I found out that Columbia pictures owns the name and the band never owned the name because it was a TV show. So I licensed the name from Columbia and Peter Tork was living on the West side. He was teaching piano lessons. So, uh, I got someone introduced me to him. I came to one of my shows. I said, Peter, I'd love to do anything to put the monkeys together. So he, um, turned to me and he said, well, how about we go to England? And I said, that I said, that'd be great. Let's go. Let's go visit Mickey and Davey. And we went to meet them and I proposed to them to go on tour for 1986. Now I'm in this, I'm in a building on 1775 Broadway and I'm on the seventh floor and on the eighth and ninth floor, 
is a new fledging network called MTV. Mm-hmm. And I'm going up and down the elevator with the heads of MTV. And at the same time, I'm representing all these ball players, all the Giants and everything. And what happened was that um, I, I hear, I get a call from somebody who says, hey, the monkeys, are, uh, they're going to be showing 24 hours of monkeys on MTV. So I run upstairs to Bob Pittman, who's now the head of iHeartRadio. And I said, Mr. Pittman, my name is David Fisher. You see me in the elevator all the time. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you're the sports agent. I said, yeah. He said, uh, I said, but this year I'm doing the monkeys besides. And he said, sit down, kid. Tell me about it. And I tell him I'm going to put him on tour, my package. He said, I'll make a deal with you. You promote my monkey, my MTV on the monkey, and then we're airing it on all your ads. My new fledging network. I'll never forget the words. My new fledging network. I'll promote the monkeys on TV, your tour. So we worked together, and uh, about a month later, I went on sale. And I think I'm going to sell two, 3,000 seats. And I'll go on sale in Detroit at these amphitheaters. You know, they have 5,000 seats, and then there's, they sell another 15 on the lawn. I get a phone call that we sold out Detroit in the first two hours. Can I add more? So I added another show. Chicago sold 28,000 tickets. Foxborough Stadium sold 40,000 tickets. It was the craziest thing. Every little girl decided she's going to go see the monkeys. <laughs> and they would come home about 9 o'clock in the morning, 9.30, and the mother said, where were you all night? Mommy, I was waiting in line to get monkey tickets. And the mother said, well, what about me? I want to go. And you know who the monkeys are? I said, yeah, you know, we knew them before you. And a whole new generation thought these the monkeys were this new band. And it was so crazy because the first 20 rows of the show, it was all these little girls screaming. And then it was the mothers in rows 20 to 60. <laughs> and um, so the monkeys was huge. And I started the Catskills. I started rehearsing at the Concord. Really? What are your thoughts or what were your thoughts when Mickey Dolan's credited you with their revival? Well, you know, it's true. It was my idea. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it was my idea to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was appreciative that, you know, he said it. And, you know, it's you always want to make sure you get credit for the work you do. Um, but it was, you know, Mickey's a smart guy. And, and uh, he's the last of the monkeys left. I have to tell you, and it's so interesting with the, with the movie coming out, uh, rock camp, how many people have talked to me and asked me about the monkeys more than anything else. You know, you think, you think, okay, talked about Ringo, you talked about Phil Sims. It was always the monkeys, every question, the monkeys, the monkeys. And, you know, I have to tell you that uh, one of the biggest disgrace in, in the music industry today is they announced the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, inductees uh, yesterday. I mean, you know, last night. And, you know, people who, who they're thinking of being inducted in the finals. And the monkeys still aren't there. Really? And they had more hits than anybody. And while, although they didn't write their own songs, they wrote a few of their own songs. But they performed them. They, were, they really deserve to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Because um, they influenced so many bands and so many people. And um, who knows? One day. Gonna say, do you plan on kind of petitioning for them and, and advocating to get them in there? You know, I, to me, it's it's hard. You know, I'm not in that business to do that, but <laughs> I'm hoping their fans 
you know, listen, finally Judas Priest got got nominated, and uh, I hope they get in. They deserve to get in. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it, it gets very political. Yeah. I mean, um, it's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame, which, you know, the, your baseball card really goes up in value. Yeah. Or, you know, or football or even basketball. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's cool. But, um, you know, I think it's driven more by uh, a group of people who make that decision. And um, I know they keep trying to change it, but so many people deserve to be in there. Yeah. And hopefully eventually they'll get in. But the monkeys, they really deserve to be in there. I, I it's on my bucket list to get out to, to Ohio to, to check out that that place. There's it's just the, the history of music in there is insane. It's insane, yes, totally. How how did you convince the artists and the athletes to give you a shot to either represent them or, or work with them? So, you know, that's a great question because you know, now you um you know, today that you got to be a college, a, a lawyer, and you have a lot of competition. But back then, it was really um, when I first started. It was a gift to gab, and uh, I just sold myself. I went to Lou Pinella, and I and I after meeting him at appearance, and I said, "Do you have an agent?" He said, "No." I said, "Would you give me the opportunity? I really like to go out and see if I can get commercials for you and appearances." And he said, "Sure, try it." And I got on the phone and I called everybody. I'd go through the newspapers, call the ads, call the agencies. And, you know, I, I really, I'm a, I went to hustle. And, you know, I broke through barriers and, and you know, I worked hard. Um, you know, my favorite saying is when luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Right. You know, you got to really, really do a lot of work. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think in the end, I, 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 I came to them in a different approach. A creative approach. I, I didn't just go go to I didn't go to an artist like Ringo Starr and say, "Hey, let me be your manager or let me be your agent, let me be your producer." I said, "I have this concept of putting you in an all star band," um, and I, I think that's really what when I went to these artists to sign them over the years, I, I came to them with ideas and create creative ideas, um, and, I, and that's what I loved about it. It was fun. It's all about the pitch. You're a uh... Your Rolodex of, of musicians and, and things, it, it's it's pretty spectacular, to say the least. Um, what was the genesis of the rock fantasy, rock and roll fantasy camp? Well, you know, when I was touring with Ringo, and I put that I put that all-star band together, and I went and I approached him, and, and we're on the road at the fourth show, and we're at the uh, Garden State Arts Center, which is probably they call the PNC Arts Center now, in Homedale, New Jersey. And, you know, I'm not one of the, you know, I'm not a rock and roller. I mean, in the sense that you'll never find me at clubs hanging out. I go to concerts when they're my concerts. And now it's different. I'll go. But I'll usually go to meet somebody so they'll go to my camp. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sports junkie, you know. Listen, I'm, I, I love the Celtics. I'm a Giants fan. But um, I wasn't really a go to concerts. You know, I wasn't really a con I love listening to music. But. Anyways, I, I um, you know, I forgot the question. <laughs> I was trying to see what was the kind of the the fruition of uh, or the, the start starting point for the rock and roll uh, fantasy camp that you have. Right. So what happened was that right. And so at the fourth show, the Garden State Arts Center, the, um, Joe Walsh and Levon Helm played a joke on me, as you see in the movie, and and it was really it was funny, but it wasn't funny it, for me. It was 
I, I mortgaged my house <laughs> to put on to put on the tour. And I saw my house going down the river when I walked into the dressing room and I saw Joe Walsh and Levon Helm having a huge fight. Um, and I'll leave that for the rest of the film to, for people to watch the film. But it was amazing that, you know, I, I saw how much fun that they had on the all-star band tour. And I kept saying, if I could give this to a fan, give them the opportunity to hang with all these rockers together for four days and, and learn, you know, and really learn for them. And what happened is now it's 25 years later. I didn't realize how much the rock stars would love it. <laughs> and, you know, as Roger Dolce says in the film, he says, I was one of them. I just got lucky. And, you know, so many of these artists, you know, Dave Mustaine, Joe Perry. I mean, the greatest artists came, you know, come to rock camp. They repeatedly come to rock camp. I got Jerry Cantrell coming for his third time. There's something about it when they come, it has meaning to them. And because they realized it was like one of them. And Gene Simmons said, I wish they had the same when I first started. <laughs> so I would have saved myself a lot of heartache. So, you know, people come to camp. They, they go through that experience. The rock star goes through the experience. Um, and then I feel bad. They have to go home. But the good news is to the regular jobs, they land up coming back because 50% of our campers come back and forth to rock and roll fantasy camp. What in in its simplest terms, what is what's the week like for people to come to the camp? So the the week, rock and roll fantasy camp starts off when the minute you sign up, and you get a letter from me telling you the songs you should learn, how to prepare yourself for rock and roll fantasy camp. So usually that's about three four months out. People hire teachers. People mm -hmm. go on YouTube now. Now you go on YouTube, you can find out how to play any song, and they really try to learn the songs. Um, as best as possible. Some people know them, but they keep practicing them. And um, and then they they, they get an interview, a pre-interview with our musical director, Britt Lighty, and we put them in a band with people who have similar music uh, skills, likes, you know, the kind of genres. And uh, each band has a rock and roll, has a touring musician who takes a band. And it's so interesting because some of these rockers you know, will tell me, like Alan the White of Yes, he'll say, David, I, I want to have a great band that can play, you know, because Yes music's very hard. So give me a give me an advanced band. And then I've got a guy like Spike Edney who's in Queen, and he'll turn to me and say, you know, give me the worst band. He says, I'll turn them into the best. <laughs> and I look at these mentors as, as almost like NFL football coaches. You know, they're all Bill Belichick's. They all have to, they're all NFL coaches. They all get the same draft picks. But why does Belichick win every year? And why does you know, some coaches win every year and some coaches don't? So the same thing with these these mentors. They know how to put a band together. And uh, they really instruct these people. And they, they give them, um, they teach them. And, they, and then they go, they, they meet these stars. They get to jam with Joe Perry. They get to jam with uh, Roger Daltrey. Um, I do two live shows. They get to play two live shows. And... Um, and then while they do the two live shows, they um, they record a song, and they really get the experience of what it's like on tour. They go from 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. They're tired, but that's <laughs> the way we feel, what I felt when I was on tour. And is it work? It's hard work. But, you know, not, uh, begin. it's really, I want these people to learn something. Right. So if they go away learning something, they'll come back. If I give them a layup, they're, they're not going to show up. So... It can't really work stock right. 
does it stay at the same venue or do you have like three or four venues you stay at or do you just kind of get an idea of when you want to have it and where you want to have it and kind of so what i do is you know i do it where where i can get the artists like joe perry lives in lives in florida so during covid i decided to go down there um you know i I did buddy guy in chicago because he lives there he has a club i'll go to vegas to the scorpions or you know doing a tour there la coming up in two weeks because you know jerry catchall lives here so you know it really depends where the artists are where i can get them to commit and then i'll build a camp around it do you have any mainstays that are you know musicians that are there on a regular basis at almost every camp that you have well i try to have my count my mentors you know people like rudy sarzo and and tony franklin and teddy Adriatis, people you'll see featured in the film uh brit uh lightning is my musical director um, getting more to women, we're doing women's camps. So, you know, it, it's, it's really trying, it's, it's been, you know, finding out different kinds of genres. For example, I'm most excited about my songwriting camp with Desmond Child. I mean, you can be able to learn from Desmond, who wrote the majority of the Bon Jovi tunes <laughs> and, um, the most amazing songwriter. And you could spend four days with him and really learn how to hone in on your, on your skills. So that's just, just a, a music writing class, like a, a songwriting. It's, it's songwriting. Camp. What they're going to learn? They're going to write songs. They're going to record demos, and they got uh, you got uh, you know Emmy Lou Harris coming, John Hyatt coming. They'll see performances from these people. Uh, it's going to be amazing. So during the day, I guess it sounds from the way I got it from the the movie, which we'll get into in a minute. The campers are, you know, spending the day with their mentors and then with their bands and groups, and then they kind of have like these little breakout sessions or we uh, master. They take master classes. They they can go. They go into jam rooms. So if you want to do blues, if you want to do jazz, if you want to do Beatles, you know, wherever you, whatever you feel, we always have various jam rooms. They do a lot of they do Q and A's with the big stars. Um, it's it's it's. I keep you busy. <laughs> so. To the movie now, um, which is called Rock Camp the Movie. What was the idea to, to come up with the movie? To, just a kind of a way to showcase things for people that weren't aware? I mean, you've, you've kind of have a pop culture goldmine with the references it's been in with The Simpsons and some of the other people that you pointed out in the film. So I'll tell you what was exciting. It was this past week, weekend, Billions. Um, the star of, of Billions, the TV show on Showtime, he goes to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And uh, so we were featured at Billions, which is also great, which is really exciting for us. Um, the movie, you know, it, it took a lot to make the movie because um, in the beginning, I didn't really want to do it. A lot of work. And, um, and these people came to me, and Doug Blush, Jeff Rowe, and, you know, they said, we want to make this movie. And we really want to tell the story. And, you know, I realized why I wanted to do it at the end. Because how many times you see a movie trailer and you watch this great movie trailer and then you go see the movie and you're disappointed. Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, you cannot tell the story in 30 seconds. You can't tell the story in 60 seconds. you got to really tell the story. And I said, you know what, let's tell the story. And it took five years. It took a lot of money. Um, but it was, it took five years because they had 90 terabytes of, you know, 25 years of camp to pull out of, 
Um, but Doug Bush did a fabulous job. So did Jeff Rowe, the producer. And Jeff, uh, you know, Doug edited, you know, tw uh, 20 Feet from Stardom. And he did some big films. So I always wanted him to do this film. And um, it, it worked out great. And uh, I, love so I love the film because I think it really tells you what the camp's about. You see the emotion of what camp's about. Uh, it follows four campers. Um, and they go through their experience. And in the end, I think you're surprised when you hear the rock stars talk about their experiences at camp. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched it and it was, it was amazing. I was just like a, a musician would pop them like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, oh, I know <laughs> another one. And it's, it's just one after another, after another. I, it, I can't even tell you how many I left out. I keep thinking of, Oh no, <laughs> I never told John Waite was there. Oh no. And this one was there. That one was there. You can't put them all in. How did you um, decide which of the campers were featured? You, you mentioned that there were four that it, uh, the movie kind of is around, and, and their stories are, are are pretty spectacular. We followed eight people. Eight to, first of all, everyone that comes to Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, stories are amazing. Mm -hmm. They all have stories. And, you know, we, we have a TV series we're working on now, and hopefully we'll tell more stories because it really is a great place to tell someone's story because they're, you're putting them in a position where they're it's, they're not comfortable, um, so they 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 will talk. Um, going to rock camp, the biggest issue you have is people are scared to come, um, not good enough, which is, is bogus because it's not what it's about. You know, it's not competitive, and but people get scared. You know, so um, but we picked these. We we had so many other people, um, and I think in the end. Uh, I, I mean, I, I left. The, I, I had to be out of the editing room. You know, the one rule Doug Bosch said to me is, "I'll do your film." He says, "Let me bake the cake." You know. Yeah. And uh, but you got to stay out of it. <laughs> so it was hard too because you know I had so much. Of, I had an opinion, but I, I will tell you the stories. You know, you always want to put a woman in there. You want to put kids in there, and I, I think that um, there were a couple of women's stories were just unbelievable. I mean, so so we had this one lady who came to camp and um, she was mentored by me love. She had breast cancer and she left camp writing a book called rocking the pink because it was such an amazing experience for her. And her doctor said, you know, your, your cancer shrinking, you're doing better ever since you went, went away to that rock camp. And um, so she credits camp with helping her get healthy. And then I asked her, so when you leave camp, did you get depressed? You know, it was exciting. It's you go through that. She said, no. She said, I decided I'm never going to write another brief again. I'm going to quit being a lawyer and I'm going to be a writer because your rock stars taught me to be authentic. They taught me to be real. And I'm going to quit. And I quit my law job and I've written 14 novels. Changed wow. my name to Linda, Linda Rowe because I didn't want people to know me from the cancer days. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very successful writer today. But what I learned at your camp by these authenticity of being the way you, these people are authentic. It was amazing. One of the stories without diving too much into it was the, uh, the story of the Kellers. And I noticed at the very end under the list of all the, the rock icons, you mentioned the, the youngest Keller as, as one of that. And I thought that was a pretty, pretty nice nod to them. Um, what is it like for you knowing that you've made such a profound impact on some people's lives for the most part who 
you know, for 51 weeks of the year, just live relatively subdued lives. Well, I have to tell you, that's what keeps me going every day. Every day, I open an email. It's thank you, David. You changed my life. So that's why I love my job. But the Kellers are so are such spectacular people. That Scott works at McKinsey. He's a senior vice president, and I got an email from him after he appeared at the Judas Priest camp, and uh, he thanked me for it. And I saw McKinsey on the bottom, and I called him up and I said, "Wait a minute." I know what McKinsey is. Can I ask you, can I take you to lunch and give you some advice and ask you some free advice? Because this is a hard business. And make a long story short, Scott saved my company. Um, this is a hard business. And, you know, while, you know, the producers at Coachella can increase the feds or an, uh, an arena, you go, you can take an artist from a club and then you can put him in a theater and then you can put him in an arena and then you can play a stadium. I can't do that with Rock Camp. Because right. there's only one bass player in a band, one drummer in a band. And you can't do more than 12, 13 bands in a camp because these rock stars can't work that hard. You know, I mean, they spend a lot of time with them. So they showed me, and Scott particularly showed me how to reach reform my business. So he helped me a lot by business. To see where his son Jackson has come, I got even better news. Jackson was at the last camp. And he came to the Dave Mustang camp a month ago and he's going to UCLA and he is, it's amazing what one family giving love to a child um, and, and what he's done. And he, it was so cool because he remembered the notes better than his father when he was (laughs) jamming with Dave Mustang. So uh, it's brilliant. That's, I I love that part of it. That's my favorite part of the film. It's, it's definitely a, a very poignant moment. Um, and, and that story, like I said, was, it's kind of heart wrenching, but at the end you're like, wow, that's, that's just amazing. You, you know what else is incredible that I have to say about rock camp, Joe Perry was a camp and he's doing a Q and a, and he says to, uh, somebody, uh, they, you know, we do Q and a guy asks him a question. Joe said, what do you do for a living? He says, um, I'm a guitar player. No, no, I apologize. I'm a lawyer, and on the weekends, I play guitar in my band. And Joe said, you know, you're full of shit. He says, you're a guitarist first. You do that legal bull crap to pay for your guitars. And the guy said, yeah, that's me. So, you know, what's incredible about a musician is a musician is a musician, and, you know, they'll always be. Right. So I think that um, that's what makes, you know, it's interesting. They can, No matter what they do, they're, they're a musician first. What's, I guess, next on the horizon for, for Fantasy Camp or for your next endeavor, so to speak? Well, you know, I just made a deal with Fox TV to develop a TV series. And um, so we're doing a scripted series. I have these six, I have these women's only camps. I have, I'm, I'm going to announce uh, a bunch of new camps and new concepts, but I, I want to wait till COVID's over. You know, it's very hard now. Yeah. Very hard because, you know, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had to move the women's camp to Mother's Day, which was okay. But I, I told Nancy Wilson, you know, she, she was concerned about COVID last week. What's going to be California? I said, Nancy, I'll put you on a different side of the stage. I'll put a, a plexiglass. You can jam with the bands. have a plexiglass between you. And she said to me, David, that's not what Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is about. It's about me interacting with these people. 
having lunch with them, talking to them. And if we can't give them that, that, that experience, let's wait till we can two, three months later. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, while it was hard for me at the same time, I had to agree with her. She loves camp so much that she wanted to make sure they got the same experience. So I'm going to wait till COVID, you know, I had at least, at least to know where we're going with this. Right. Um, but then I'm, yeah, we're going to release the film and, um, in, internationally and look to do camps there. And, you know, I enjoy it. I wake up every morning with a new idea. Um, you know, I did a Beatles camp, uh, about two years ago where campers got to play Sergeant Pepper album <laughs> with cheap trick. Um, I just finished reading Bob Spitz's great book on Led Zeppelin and I want to do a, you know, a camp where campers can play Led Zeppelin. I know I'm not going to get Jimmy page, but if I can get members of train, or members, there's so many people out there who love that band, yeah, and would want to come and jam for a weekend with them. I mean, I, I asked after I watched the movie. I called my stepfather. He's been playing guitar for probably about forty years, far better than he gives himself credit for. And now I need to get him to come to one of your camps because I think he'd have an absolute blast just looking at the names of the people that come and go to your. Uh, he would have a life-changing experience. So that's what rock camp is for me. What I love so much about the movie at the end was that even whether you're a musician or not a musician, whatever you are, at any age, you can, you can have passion in your life to do something. You want to create a podcast? You want to uh, create a, an app? You want to create a new business? You know, you, you, don't ha- you can change your life, and you can find happiness in doing what you love. And I think that's what you see with these campers and no matter what age and, and, you know, people say, Oh, isn't it like the sports fantasy camps? I said, no, because in baseball, you know, the guys who go to the Yankee baseball camp, they can't even hit it over the fence anymore. <laughs> and, you know, you can't be a pro athlete at 35. Um, you know, I mean, you know, can't, once you're 35, it's over. So the one great thing about music is Mick Jagger, you can still perform at 80 years old. Yeah. You can write a song at any age. You could be in a tribute band. And I think that that you have more opportunities to do things as a musician. Yeah, music makes the world go round, in my opinion. I mean, it sure does. Just, it just has such a profound impact, and it obviously affects everybody differently. People, Some people like rock, some people don't. But the, the core of just having music around is, is kind of fundamental, in my opinion. I'm looking at the names of, of people you have here and, and I'm just, my jaw is just on the floor with all the names and insanely jealous of the people to get to go to your camps. It is a great experience. They have a great time <laughs> and you know, we have financing programs now. We just added it. You could pay it over 12 months. Uh, nice. To me, my interest, I, 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 believe it or not. And I, and I am, and I love business and I, and I enjoy making money. And I did for many years as an agent, you know, I was a, I, I so much enjoy the camp because you really have an effect on people's lives and they usually leave camp and they, they learn, you know, I had the owner of Oracle come to camp and, and one of the partners and, you know, he turns to me after camp. And he says, you know, I learned to listen at your camp. You know, he walked in and I'm going to, I want to tell this rock star that, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to play this song. And, and the guy said, listen, I got to teach the song to five other people. So relax. Right. And, you know, Bill Parcells, always gave me that great line. Don't let the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and I tell that the, the, these, these rockers, 
you know, you got a lot of type A's, you got lawyers. I said, but you know, they want to be guided by you and you got to teach them the success of music and they'll get it. What's the age range? Um, I, I did notice that the, it seemed to be a pretty wide. Yeah. You, know, you got 16 year old kids who are whiz kids. Um, you know, I don't get, if, if I get a young teenager, it's because he's on his way to become, you know, a star and he's right. on his way for stardom, but mainly, you know, I would say 40 and over, but it depends on the talent. You know, if I have like coming into this camp with Alice in Chains and so double pilots, um, or Soundgarden, you know, you get people in your thirties, twenties, you know, um, all different ages. And, you know, today, like for Joe Perry, I'm getting teens. I'm getting 20 year olds because their parents were Aerosmith fans. Right. So they grew up with the band. So that's what makes it interesting. But you know, when you're in a band, it doesn't make a difference. The age, it really, it really makes a difference on the ability. Right. Uh, that's one thing age might have a little bonus for is you, you picked up a little smaller techniques. You're a little more smoother. And, but you know, there are some kids out there that are, like you said, they're These almost kids are unbelievable. I got a 60 year old, a kid come in, uh, his father's a record company executive. The kid can play drums as good as any pro out there. <laughs> and he's fun to play with. So, you know, you never know. And he's, and he's, and he's well-behaved in the band, you know? So I'm going to ask a few questions before I get to the questions, rather, where can people find the movie and get more information about the, the camp if they wanted to So to the movie is at rockcampthemovie.com. And they can uh, watch it um, for two ninety nine, or they could go on Apple, and it's on Apple VOD, and it's on Amazon Prime VOD, and then it's also on Directv on the four K channel. Uh, hope to see more distribution soon with it. Rockcamp.com has everything, and you can see all the upcoming camps. And um, and if they tell you they heard about this uh, on this show, I got a special gift for everybody. So just mention Michael's you know, podcast. I'll make sure to throw, uh, throw that little comment into uh, adding context to the uh, show notes. So now for the, the fun questions that are just a lively way to end things. Would you rather have a golden voice or a silver tongue? Wow, a golden voice. <laughs> I, um, I think I would have to take the silver tongue. As much as I love to sing, um, when no one else is around because I can't sing at all. Uh, I, I think the idea of just being able to be a little more persuasive is uh, is more intriguing to me. I've done that already, so I like the golden voice. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, with the with the, the resume of, that you have. Question two. Would you rather have all the traffic lights you approach turn green or never have to stand in line again? Definitely the traffic lights. <laughs> I hate standing in line. I would. Uh, I, I'm. I'm in a lot of thing of. I wouldn't want to have to stand in line again either. That, that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Especially uh, now during COVID, you got to be so far away. <laughs> uh, would you rather be able to control animals, but not humans, with your mind, or control electronics with your mind? Wow, I love these questions. Um, you know. Animals, I, they live around my house. I got rabbits. I got birds. Uh, my daughter is, is, you know, she wishes she, uh, she, she, she'll do anything to get an elephant and a horse and a dog. <laughs> so I'm around the animal all the time. I'll go with the electronics. Yeah, I think if uh, if I was a kid, I would definitely say I'd want to control animals. But now in 
the modern age that we live in where everything is electronic, I think I would go for that cyberpunk vibe. Let's see. I got, got one more here. Got a couple, but I'm going to go with one. Would you rather be able to control fire or water? Oh, definitely control fire. <laughs> and you kind of do with your camps. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would want to control water just because I think it's a little more, you get offense with it and you can get some defense with it. So plus you can put out fire. Oh, I have, uh, I've definitely stolen some a chunk of your time and I, I greatly appreciate the conversation and, and I wish you the best with the, the movie and, Thanks, and the, Thank your, you. your upcoming project. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on Michael and, and uh, send, send your follow up, send your stepdad to camp. <laughs> Working on it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.